good, good. All right, so I try to think of some kind of clever story or something to start off with, you know, but I'm just not, I'm just not one of the storytellers or maybe I'm just not that clever. Um, so I decided instead of starting with a story or anything, uh, let's start off with prayer because I could use a lot of prayer when it comes to doing things like these because whenever I do presentations, I'm really bad at doing it with slides. And of course, Dave sends me this thing and be like, here you go, make your slideshow. And I'm like, oh, great. So basically all my notes are in the slides and that's what my slides are. So um, we'll see how this works. I apologize to Catherine beforehand because it may be kind of hard to keep up with it and stuff. So. You know, oh, she says it's fine. I have, I have faith in you, just not myself. Um, if you all join me, let's, uh, let's pray real quick, and then we'll dive into the, dive into the message. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, humbly come before you this morning. We thank you for uh, another day that you've given us. We thank you for your grace and mercy that you continually show us. Father, we ask that uh, you will prepare our minds and hearts to receive your word. Um, and Father, I ask that uh, if there's anything that I say that will lead anybody astray, I ask, Father, that you would uh, wipe that from their minds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so we're doing this series um, called How Do I Know I'm Saved? Uh, in case you weren't here last week, uh, Dave started off the series, and he started talking about how, you know, we have... Oh, there goes my kid. He hears me talking. That, that can be my story. My kid hears me talking, and if I don't have him, he starts to cry. I'm like, boy, you're supposed to do that for your mother, not me. But for some reason, he does it for me. Anyways, so Dave started off last week. Uh, we're talking about salvation, and we're talking about our doubts about our salvation, and can we have assurance. And so Dave was talking about there are different aspects uh, to our doubts. What causes our doubts? So he listed four things. Uh, he was talking about spiritual immaturity can lead to doubt. Um, that's just one of those things where, hey, you know, I'm young in my faith, and I, I just don't know that much. Uh, so I, I kind of doubt my salvation because, you know, I, I just don't know. Uh, sensitivity to sin. Oftentimes when we're believers, uh, we start to become more aware of our sin and how often we sin. And oftentimes it comes across like, man, I sin all the time and I just can't stop doing it. And oftentimes when we, when we are aware of our sin like that, we start to doubt ourselves. We're like, dude, I sin so much. Am I even a believer? Uh, another one was comparison with others. Uh, I mean, I did this a lot growing up. It's like, hey, you see this guy over there? Man, he is really holy. He seems to do all of the right things, never gets into trouble, just, and everybody thinks he's so good. Obviously, he's a Christian, but am I? Because, man, I do a lot of bad things. People don't know about it, but I do a lot of bad things. Um, then there's the other one. Uh, childhood conversion is what he talked about. Uh, a lot of us became believers when we were kids. And this is like one of the only things that we've known. So it's like we look at ourselves and we're like, man, I became a believer when I was, see, I was either nine or 10. I was probably nine. And so oftentimes I look at, man, everything that I did after I became a believer, after I was nine years old, I've done a lot of sin. And let me just tell you, the sin that I did, a nine-year-old wouldn't have done. And so it's like, well, have I really changed? Or, you know, am I a believer? I can't tell. I can't tell the difference between me being at nine and now. And so that often leads to doubt as well. But then Dave also talked about how uh, assurance for Christians isn't only possible, 
but it should be normal for us. And oftentimes it is normal for us. Um, but today we're going to look at the basis of that assurance, um, where our assurance comes from, and then also we're going to look at signs of life, basically signs that we are a believer. Um, and so this first thing we're going to look at is if someone were to ask you, say like myself or a friend or anybody, this question here, it's on the screen, how do you know you are a Christian? How would you answer that question? Um, I know how I used to answer the question. Uh, oftentimes I started with, because I. Plain and simple. It was like, well, because I am a believer, because I went to church. Uh, oftentimes, there's other things people may say, well, I'm a believer because I did impact, because I volunteer in the church, because I attended G groups. Well, I grew up in Texas. There's a lot of people who say that I'm from Texas, so, you know, I'm a believer because that's where we are. I heard one person say this, actually. I didn't grow up in California, so I'm a believer. I'm just like, hey, let me, let me tell you, there are believers in California. It's okay. There are. Like, my family's from Oregon. I've, I've been through California. I've met them. It's okay. Um, but that was some of the crazy things that we hear people say, oh, this is the reason I'm a believer. Um, but oftentimes I would answer that question this way. I would say, I'm a believer because I did this, this, or this. Um, but what if we can answer the question about our assurance the same way we can answer the question about our doubt, or basically say, I doubt because I fill in the blank. Uh, which I started noticing that I was doing. I would say, I doubt because I'm not as holy as somebody else. Uh, I doubt because I don't know enough. I don't know enough scripture. I don't know enough about God. Um, I doubt because I keep sinning. I doubt because I do the same sin over and over. I doubt because I'm hypocritical. Uh, people really quick to point that out. When, uh, when you say you're a believer, hey, well, guess what? You're a hypocrite. Uh, and then I doubt because I know people know my sins. Uh, that was often hard for me, especially when uh, at work. I would be at work, and then people would see me do something wrong, and they're like, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? And then I would be like, man, I just completely messed it up. Am I even a believer because I do these things, and people know that I do these things? Um, oftentimes, that's where I would really doubt. But then what really got me, Dave brought up a couple of passages, actually one passage last week. I'll add another one to that. Uh, he brought up the passage about those who come before Jesus, and Jesus is like, away from me. I never knew you. Uh, but the one that really got me when I was younger was, it's in, it's in James 2. Uh, James talks about, and he says, oh, so you say you're a believer? He's basically, I'm going to paraphrase it. He goes, oh, so you say you're a believer? That's cool. Even the demons believe. And I was like, oh. Um, so if my answer is, Somebody asks me, I'm a believer, and I say, well, somebody asks me, are you a Christian? And I say, yes, because I believe. And then they come back and say, well, James says, even the demons believe. What am I going to say to that? I'm like, I, that's, I, I don't know how to answer that. And so what if we answered the question differently? Well, let's first, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at Scripture first and see what does it say about us. What does it say about ourselves? Uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 2. Um, we're going to stay in here for a little while. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. 
this passage here, Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite passages. And this part here, when I'm struggling with my doubt, this is what it tells me about myself. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So what I did was when I was looking at this passage, uh, I took that because I part and I started putting it in there. And so instead of it saying you, and as I read it, I said, and because I was dead in my trespasses and sins in which I previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in disobedience, I previously lived among them in, our, in my fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of my flesh and thoughts, and I was by nature a child under wrath, as others were too. So I'm looking at, I am all kinds of confused now. I'm looking at this like, okay, I can answer and say, okay, I'm a believer because I this, this, and this, but then I can also answer my doubt because I this, this, and this. And then I look at this passage here and I'm like, well, because I'm this, this, and this, oh man. So am I really a believer? Huh, let's see. What can I do about that? How can I answer this question? Um, so then I just looked at the next passage. I looked at the next verse. Starting in verse 4, what does it say? What does it start with in verse 4? Verse 4 starts with, but God. I was like, well, can I put myself in there? Can I say, but I? Well, I can't say, but I. I can say, but God, or I can't say because I, but I can say, but God. And so let's look at the rest of that passage and see what the rest of that passage says. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not, your, this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That was kind of hard to read because I memorized it in a different version. So I wanted to start going off in a different way. And I was like, hold up, that's not what that word is. Let's just read it out. Um, so when I started, when I was really doubting and struggling with that, I was like, okay, what do I need to find out? How can I answer somebody if they ask me if I'm a Christian? When I came across this, I was like, well, this to me looks like the basis of my salvation starts with God first. Rather than starting with myself and saying, well, I believe as being the basis, being the foundation of my salvation, it looks like this. It says, but God. It says, but God is the basis of our salvation, and the works he prepared for us are the signs of life he has given us. So these things that we say we do, when we go back and we say, okay, uh, I go to church, I do impact, I do G groups, I volunteer. Um, we can get rid of the grew up in Texas, California thing. That doesn't matter whatsoever. Um, by the grace of God, though, you are in Texas, and it's a great place to be. Uh, but when we look at these, these works that it talks about us, us doing, 
These are things that he prepared for us to do. These aren't the basis of our foundation, but these show that we have that basis. These show that we have that foundation. So we're going to talk about those in a little bit. But first of all, we're going to look more at, uh, we're going to look at three places where we find our assurance rests. And in these three places, it all has to do with God. So the first one is our assurance of salvation rests on God's character. So basically who God is, is where our salvation starts. That's the assurance. Our salvation, our assurance of salvation first starts with who God is. The second is our assurance of salvation rests on the work of Jesus. And then the third, our assurance of salvation rests on the promises of God. So we're going to look at each one of these individually. So this first one here, assurance of salvation rests on God's character. We're going to look at a couple different passages here that talk about God's character, uh, who he is. So Romans 2, 4 through 5, um, this one here, if you ever know my story, this is a verse my dad always quoted to me because, let's say, I had an issue with the church at one point. I was really rebellious, and I really didn't like a lot of people, but my dad would always quote this verse to me. And I was like, Dad, I really don't like you right now because that's all you ever do to me whenever you see me. But uh, apparently it worked because after a while I was really convicted that, hey, this passage, is, this passage is true and it's telling me this is how I need to live. And so let's go through this passage and see, okay, what is God's character within here? It says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and in penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we see a few things here that are uh, God's character, that characterize God. We see that he's kind, that he's patient, that he's righteous, and that he's wrathful. This one's important because it'll link to another one. Actually, all those are important because we'll see in other passages, they all link together. Uh, This next one here, we're going to look at Lamentations 3, uh, 21 through 26. Um, it's kind of small right there. I'm going to read it from this one. It says, uh, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Uh, a little background in this. In Lamentations, uh, Israel was really disobedient. This is particularly Judah here. Uh, was very disobedient, and God basically told him, hey, if you don't obey me, this is what's going to happen. Well, Lamentations is basically during the time of what happened. Uh, it's the Babylonians are coming in, and they overthrew Judah, and they took him off into captivity. And a lot of horrible things are happening. But here... Uh, in Lamentations, a lot of people believe that this may be Jeremiah talking here. We just don't know. Um, but what, what is he saying about God's character? Even though they're going through a lot of horrible things, uh, here's God's character. He says that God is steadfast, God is merciful, God is faithful, and God is good. So our first basis for our assurance is God's character. So we see these things about God these things that we know are true because he tells us in his word. We see that he is kind, that he is patient, that he is righteous, that he's wrathful, that he's steadfast, merciful, faithful, and good. Um, the next one we'll look at, the assurance of salvation rests on the work of Jesus. Uh, and so with these passages, we'll look at these. 
and see what are some works of Jesus? What did he do to guarantee our salvation? Or what did he actually do for our salvation? Uh, Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Is that right there? We talked about God being wrathful. But what does it tell us here in Romans 5 is that the work that Jesus did satisfied the wrath of God. So things that we see in God's character, we see worked out through the work of Jesus. And then we'll also see worked out in the promises of God. Uh, so in, pick up back up in verse 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we were, are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we see that before this, before the work of Jesus, we had an issue with God. Uh, if I were in Colleen, I grew up in Colleen, we would normally say, you got beef with God. Um, you got trouble with God. You got a rap sheet with God. You and God are not on good terms right now. And so what we see through this is the work of Jesus. What did he do? He reconciled us to God. He made that issue go away. He, he brought us together with God, and he satisfied God's wrath. It was basically like, look, guys, God was mad at us because of our sin, but what was God's character? It's not just wrathful. We see that God is kind. He's patient, righteous, steadfast, merciful, faithful, good. Uh, he's also loving. We see that John 3. Um, so what did he do? He made a way for us through his son. Um, and we'll look at this next passage here. Uh, I think, what is this one? Hebrews? Nope, First Peter. I want First Peter instead of Hebrews. How about that? So First Peter 1, 3 through 5 tells us a little bit more about what Jesus did. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, it's really interesting the words that Peter uses here when he talks about the work of Jesus. Words like uh, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Those kind of sound like guarantees, don't they? Because if I go to a if I go to a store and I pick out food, and they tell me it's an, an unperishable food and it dies. That's not much of a guarantee. But if I go to the store and I buy something that says it's unperishable, it should be unperishable. It shouldn't die. It should, nothing should happen to it. So this is basically what it's saying. It's like if Christ has died for you, what he has done for you is it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it will always last. So these are two of the foundations of our assurance. Uh, the first one, again, is God's character. The second one is uh, the work of Jesus. So this third one here, is assurance of salvation rests on the promises of God. And so in this one, we're going to see some promises here. So Romans 9, 22 through 26, uh, I was looking for a promise. So I can like, I can go through scripture and I can find a lot of different promises of God. But some of the promises, it's like, well, do I know that it's a promise because I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't feel it. So here's one of those promises that we can, that's actually tangible. I understand this promise because I can see it in front of me. 
so what it says here is this is this is Paul talking, and then he's going to quote down here in verses 25 and 26. He's going to quote Hosea. So Paul says, "What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He called." not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not my beloved, I will call my beloved, and in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So what he's saying here is that those who are not Jews, so in the Old Testament, the Jews, the Israelites, were God's people. Here, after the work of Christ, and he promised this. He makes this promise all the way back in Hosea. So this was, well, Hosea was probably about 800 years, roughly, before Christ. Maybe a little off, give or take, give or take 100 years. Uh, he made this promise that, guess what? It's not going to just be the Israelites or the Jews, but it's going to be all the Gentiles. Well, who's a Gentile? Well, everybody that's not a Jew or a Gentile. So it's everybody else in the world. And God's saying, I'm going to bring all of these people to myself, all of these different people. And if we look around the room, this is a promise of God that we understand because I don't know if any of you are Jews. Maybe some of you may have Jewish descent, but most of us don't. And it's like, well, this is a promise that we can actually see, a promise that we can actually understand that's right here in front of us that has actually come to pass. Uh, we're going to look at this next passage here. This is, one, like, this is one of the most famous passages. This is a great commission. And he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this one kind of plays off the previous promise of all the people who are going to come to him. But there's another promise here at the end of this. And he says, behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. That's another promise. That's something that we can see, that we can look back through these last 2,000 years. Jesus has always been here with, with us. Christianity has been moving on and going forward. So these three things here are the basis of our salvation, the basis of our assurance for salvation. Really, when we look at these, we see that within these three things, within the character of God, the work of Jesus, and the promises of God, really what it boils down to is who God is and what God has done. So that's an easy way to remember. This is the basis of our salvation. This is where it starts, is through God. Who God is and what God has done. So with that, there is a second part to this. Now that we know the basis, we know the foundation of our assurance, we're going to look at, well, how has this worked out? What is the, we're going to call them signs of life. So this is from the book here that we've been reading to encourage this series here. It's a book by Donald Whitney. He says that assurance may be experienced partly through the presence of the attitudes and actions the Bible says will accompany salvation. Uh, and so in the book, he called them signs of life. And if you recall the verse that we read at the beginning, Ephesians, at the very end of it, uh, he talks about, about these as being works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. Uh, and so we're going to look through this list of different things 
that he says, hey, these are signs of life. These are things that will show if we have this foundation of our salvation. Uh, and so this first one here, he asks this question. He says, well, do you share the intimacies of the Christian life with other believers? Um, so through all of these next questions, uh, we're not going to look at every single verse. We're going to look at a number of them um, because we are running out of time. I've only got 20 minutes, and i got three minutes left. So we're going to look at these really quick. Some of these, we're going to look at some of the verses. Almost all of these, well, all of these verses are going to be found at 1 John. So shameless plug, uh, Wednesday nights we are going through 1 John. So if you guys want to study a little bit more than that, and if you can, uh, please do come on Wednesday nights because we are studying all of these passages and going through all of this. So some of these may already sound familiar to some of you uh, because you've already talked about some of these. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do we share intimacies of the Christian life with other believers? It's basically, do you want to be around other believers and share your life with them? You can find that in 1 John 1, 6 through 7. Next question we have to ask ourselves, uh, do you have a deep awareness of, of your sin against the word and love of God? So it's basically, do we know that we sin? And that one was found in uh, 1 John 8, 10. And then this is what 1 John 8, 10 says. Uh, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, we'll go ahead and look at this next one here. Uh, next question just follows right on top of that. Do you live in conscious obedience to the word of God? You can find that in 1 John 2, 3 through 5. Uh, that one's kind of simple. It's like, do we want to obey God or do we not? Do we prefer sin or do we prefer to obey God? It's a real good question that we've got to ask ourselves. I mean, I have to ask myself that every day because, well, I'm, I'm quite aware I sin every single day. I sin more often than I really want to. Um, and that's something that I have to ask myself and compare it to the Word and be like, hey, am I really checking myself here? Uh, next one. This is kind of an interesting one. It says, do you despise the world and its ways? Uh, that's 1 John 2.15. Uh, Donald Whitney actually wrote up this little thing that I thought he, he went over it really well in explaining what it meant about do you hate the world. So he says, non-Christians will love sports, sex, money, property, work, travel, retirement, children, hobbies, television, education, politics, computers, art, grandchildren, collecting, reading, music, shopping, or any number of things more than God. The, the world finds the church and the things of God the most boring things imaginable. At best, it finds them much less meaningful than other things. So put simply is, do you desire other things more than you desire God, is really what he's asking when, it's, when it asks about, do you hate the world? Uh, it's asking, well, do I put any number of these things? One thing that he didn't put in there, which I would have put in there, is uh, friends. Oftentimes we put friends over God, our friendships or anything. It's like, you know what? I don't want to lose this person's friendship, so I'm just not going to do the whole God thing. So, yeah. Uh, I knew a lot of people like that. A lot of people that I grew up with, uh, especially in my youth group, when I, that are no longer attending church or anything. They're like, you know what? I like these things better, so I'm not going to do the whole God thing. Um, so these next ones. Uh, do you long for the return of Jesus Christ, and do you long to be more like him? You can find that in 1 John uh, 3, 2 through 3. 
The next one is, do you habitually do what is right more and sin less? That one's kind of hard. I mean, I struggle with that. I, I struggle with knowing that I do more right than I do sin because I'm so aware that, man, I'm really bad. Um, but again, that's one of those things that Dave talked about last week. Is like, you as a believer, you will be very aware of the sin that you commit. Uh, we'll look at this next one here. Uh, it says, do you sacrificially love other Christians and want to be with them? Uh, and then the next one is, uh, do you discern the presence of the Holy Spirit within you? And then this like, uh, do you enjoy listening to the doctrines the apostles of Jesus taught? So this is basically, oh, that's says talk, man. I forgot a T. Look at that. Oh, I hate when you notice that you misspell something later on. Um, so this one here is it's kind of a, an interesting one because I don't always enjoy listening to everything being taught. It's normally like, hey, somebody's teaching you or speaking because let's be honest, some people can be so boring and just put you to sleep and stuff, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. It's like, guy, you should not be teaching. You're just, you're just really boring. Um, that's not really what this is talking about. It's talking about if this is normal, if you think all of it's boring, always, everyone, and you just don't want anything to do with it. Um, that's where I, I really had to check myself because there were quite a few people that I was just like, man, this is not, I don't enjoy this. Um, but it's really asking us, hey, do you enjoy being in Scripture? Do you enjoy hearing sermons or hearing people talk about this or even being taught Scripture? Uh, so that's, that one's a really big challenge because I had to challenge myself with that. Uh, next one is, uh, do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ? That's really important. And that one you'll find in 1 John 5, 1. Um, and so with all of these, and looking at these, if we were to ask ourselves again the question, how do you know you're a Christian? How would you answer that question now? Um, if you go to this next slide, this is how I now answer this question um, because I've been convicted of, I can't answer this question saying because I anymore. Uh, how I answer this question is because God made us alive with Christ and we have proof of life through these signs or good works that God prepared for us to do. You find those answers in uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, and then that last one in verse 11. Um, so with that, that's, that's what I've been convicted of, of how I answer this question. Because I used to be like, yeah, you know, because I'm a believer. Well, shouldn't I start with be, but God? first? Shouldn't I start with, because God did this? Uh, because it wasn't me, it wasn't myself that did this work, but it was God who started this work. Uh, there's a verse that says um, that God will, com will continue this work that he started in you. He will complete this work that he started in you. And that was one of the big convictions in me. Um, with that, uh, that is the end of that. So, we will go ahead and, and uh, 